Resilient Disciples Podcast, powered by Awana. I'm your host, Ross Cochran. Thank you for listening. When this all started, nobody knew what to expect. Even the fact that I can say on a podcast when this all started, and you all know exactly what I'm talking about, speaks to how universal this coronavirus experience has been. We are all processing the same thing, the same crisis, the same event in history, yet we are all doing it in our own individual ways. We are together, alone, but together. And I'm really grateful because every week I get to share with you conversations I have with experts, people who can speak about their passions and ministry areas in a way that hopefully benefits you like it benefits me. Chris Marchand is one of those people. And we're going to talk about screens and technology and discipleship. And I imagine that as some of you listen to this, you might already think you know what we're going to say. And I assure you, the conversation is more nuanced than this. And that's why I loved talking to Chris about technology, because he, as you're about to hear, has a perspective on this that is both encouraging, yet speaks to the seriousness of the problem of screen discipleship. Yet talking to Chris reminds me that as our kids enter an increasingly screen-dependent world, there is a way for the church to lead that conversation. There is a way for you to disciple kids right now during a pandemic using screens. Our God is not limited by social distancing. Thanks for listening. Here is episode 35 of the Resilient Disciples podcast. And some of the things that have popped up and kind of risen to the surface are interesting. You know, just talking about one, how this has impacted families, how technology has impacted families. Um, how it's impacted uh, families from the standpoint of having to be now educational technology experts. Um, And then also, how do you keep your kids connected to the body of Christ in the midst of this? Because, you know, contrary to popular, contrary to popular belief and, you know, much to the chagrin of our enemy, the church has not stopped advancing by any, you know, stretch of the imagination. Um, in fact, the, the church is still on the move, um, just as it was, if not even stronger than it was before COVID-19, uh, because the, 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 just the, the power of the Holy Spirit and just the purpose and function of the church is greater than that. But I think we've learned a lot of things. I think in this season, the word that comes to my mind is gaps. I think a lot of gaps have been kind of exposed. It's really COVID-19, I think, has pressure tested a lot of families in terms of using technology in a normal consumeristic, um, you know, edutainment sense to now more of needing to translate to a survival space. (laughs) And, and so what it's really done is kind of expose some, either some weaknesses or some strengths. Uh, It's, it's shown families, whether they have boundaries or they don't have boundaries around technology. Um, It's shown parents just how much, they, they don't know school systems, even how they don't know because they took a, you know, a, a early 1900s um, 
your style of of, uh, of learning and classroom management and in this in this in the spread of like two weeks thrusted it into a digital learning environment and there are so many learnings coming out of that right now right um, that I imagine that you know no matter what you think about right now the fall is going to look very different both for the both for the school systems that are out there and the the education spaces that are out there but then also for the church itself so it brings me to one of my favorite and least favorite quotes of yours because uh, it, it, it motivates me and scares me in both parts. You often say uh, there is a lack of empathy in digital spaces. So let's start real basic. What do you mean by that? Sure. So I'll just tell stories that um, two, that was a, two nights ago, I'm sit, where my wife and I are sitting on the couch with, um, with my daughter and um, we uh, we downloaded this. Um, it's a, it's essentially a uh, a technology covenant. Okay. Um, walking through, you know, just what I will and will not do with technology. Um, just really outlining the, the the dangers around technology, but then also the benefits of it, and just really coming oh, to an agreement. Coming to an agreement as a family of how we're going to approach this. But one of the things that I injected into the conversation was this quote about how technology is, you know, really technology and the, you know, the apps that are on her, either her iPad or her device, they, they exist with a lack of empathy. They want to keep kids completely engaged in what they're doing. But relationally, what what I shared with my daughter was, you know, that app company really doesn't care much about you, mm. except what it can get from you, which is either your your time or your attention or in your in your data. So we talked about just you know you, you know sharing data um, through technology, what's appropriate and what's not. Um, but then I also shifted the conversation and I told her I said, you know, sweetie, do you, do you realize that there are no ugly apps? <laughs> like if you, if you go on the app store, nobody, you know, think about the crayons that are in the Crayola box. Like there is not an app designer on the planet, at least one that's, you know, making a, a lucrative profit that designs with the ugly crayons from the Crayola box. Like they're all very, like the color palettes are very specifically designed because your brain sees color and interprets it and wants more of it. So if you go on the app store, you'll notice after a while that, that it's kind of, some, some of them are the same color palette. That's and the funny. reason for that is because they wanna keep you engaged because your brain's looking at these apps and the things on these apps. And you know, so many of them are just like Lisa Frank just threw up all over everything. And <laughs> your, your brain is going, no, I want more of that. Yes, more, give me more <laughs> of that. Like, and so it, it keeps you engaged. But here's the thing is that, and this gets back to the lack of empathy, is that at the, at the end of your time spent on these apps, no one's reaching through that technology per se and, and asking, so how do you feel? You know, yeah. you, just, you, just spent, you just spent six hours binging on technology. How are you doing? How's, how's the hidden part of you doing? How's your soul? Uh, you know, we don't, a lot of these apps and these games, you know, they, they don't talk, they, they don't, give kids words to their feelings. Mm. And if anything, through this stretch of COVID-19, one of the things, and, and at least in our house, that we've been spending some time talking about is putting words to our feelings. Yeah. Uh, because I'm pretty sure like your family, like my family, you know, one of the things that COVID-19 has done is it's brought us closer in proximity to one another. And so we're learning things about each other that we didn't realize that we were, th that we're there because we were so busy uh, beforehand. 
and just, you know, shifting gears a little bit to this too, you know, just looking at the future and, you know, we talk about screen disciples and, you know, just how screens aren't going away anytime soon, you know, on the other side of just the pandemic, I think gone are the days where, you know, churches are telling either youth groups or children's ministries, like, you know, put your phone away, you know, it's evil, don't bring it into the building. Um, you know, we're shutting down the Wi-Fi, we're bringing in Wi-Fi jammers or, you know, signal jammers into the church because we're, we're not going to necessarily return to that type of reality yeah. on the other side of this. Like that, that provides a short-term win for somebody, right? Like they feel like if they have blocked evil, evil screens, evil technology, evil Wi-Fi, which is not a bad name for your Wi-Fi network, that that is going to force someone to pay more attention to the sermon. But we, we can know that, you know, it doesn't really do a lot of good to, to force someone to not use something for 45 minutes during the course of a day. And then they go, we send them out into the world. This is a lot of what you talk about in Becoming of the arena is not within the four beige walls and the beige chairs yeah. that are set up within the four beige walls. See, I pay attention to when you talk. Um, <laughs> but I think I want to speak to this reality that we are in right now. My daughter's four, but use her as an example of this. We have a few friends that we've been able to socially distance see, which has been great. But most of the people she's talking to, she's talking to through a screen. Her education is happening, happening through a screen. To your point earlier, the, because there isn't another option, what does it look like to craft empathy in a digital space? How do we as, as church people craft empathy in a digital space since it's not required for that space to exist. Yeah. And I think it comes from the realization that technology is fast, but human interaction over technology is required to be slow. So we, we bring empathy into the digital space by doing slow work on it. Sure. Rather than try to take a, a very fast, very efficient um, conduit and then try to hyper-pressurize our emotions and our thoughts and our feelings through it so that we miss everything. And we just leave frustrated, alone, isolated, cut off, and with little bits and pieces of information. I kind of equate it to utilizing technology and all the you know, video conferencing platforms that are being used in a wide variety of spaces. One of the things that we have to do as the human element inside of that is go a little bit slower in those environments. Um, it's going to feel awkward, but it's learning a new behavior. It's, it's no different than back, you know, in the, you know, 1800s, early 1900s, you know, just the, the expertise that went into letter writing, you know, at that period in time, you know, and that was technology. That was, sure. that was technology. We, we can't deny that it was, it was a paper and a pen and it was, and it was technology. Um, but the, the amount of thoughtfulness that went into those letters and the, the time that it took to craft them you know, that's how people really empathetically lived life with each other over distance when they couldn't be with each other. So I I think it's, it's helping our kids to see just because the technology is fast and immediate doesn't mean that I also have to emotionally jump on there and pattern my behavior after the technology. Interesting. I can go slow and I can disciple my kids with a slow degree on this technology and we can work through some things and grow um, just in our at a higher degree of empathy and in a, in a more uh, emotive way than before. Sure. So that's interesting because I feel like um, one of the most obvious opportunities to me 
post-pandemic for an organization like Awana is that we get to really lean into what it means to be a partner to the local church. There are going to just be fewer and fewer opportunities for us to be heavily prescriptive to someone's context. You know, there's six or seven different regions in the state of Illinois that are all going to have different opening <laughs> procedures, let alone for a global organization like ours that reaches almost 5 million kids. So it becomes a really great opportunity for us to be a humble partner and to listen first and to, I think, do what you and I are doing right now and have more of this conversation around the why and the mission rather than the method. So now do the complete opposite of that. But when you say move slowly, what does slow screen to screen discipleship look like? Is it just one-on-one Zooms rather than group Zooms? Sure. So let's talk a little bit about the brain. The brain can only focus on one thing at a time. Anybody that says that they're, a, they're the, that they have like a PhD in multitasking, that's garbage. Yeah. Um, they don't have a PhD we, in medical science. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the brain really is, was built to focus on one thing at a particular time. So one of the things that we're even seeing now, um, you know, like for, for even my daughter hopping on a classroom zoom call with, you know, 28 other participants, you know, if you did like an exit poll with her and you asked her three comprehension based type questions, like who was on there, what did they talk about? And, you know, what did you guys learn? Um, you're probably going to get, I don't know. Uh, I'm not sure. And, uh, what was the, what was the first question? Um, especially when it comes to kids, especially when it comes to little children. Um, so we're talking about like, you know, um, you know, birth through seventh, you know, seven-year-old um, in that spectrum. So what does it look like to do discipleship slow? I, I think allocating, you know, if it's one of the things that people have a lot of right now, it's time. And mm-hmm. I think that we can take time uh, through, through Zoom calls, but then also thinking through the strategy that we're going to use technology in those Zoom calls. Is it really effective to get, you know, 25 kids on a Zoom call and thinking that that everybody's retaining the same amount of information that you're that you're giving them. I mean, in some ways, it's no different. In fact, it's probably even more complex, you know, than that teacher sitting in that classroom. So yeah. think think about the dynamics. Think about how you're drawing each individual into that space and making sure that they're participating and that it's not just acting like a gallery. Because why? Because we want to bring that empathy. We want to bring that high degree of meaning. Um, as much as you know, techn- technology can help on the becoming piece. Technology is also a very important part. Of the belonging piece as well. So one of the things that, that whether it's a church leader or an educator has to do in the space is how do you create belonging in a digital environment where there's zero empathy? And it's really about you bringing that you like technology can't be redeemed until the image of God touches it. So, so how, how you engage with that technology and then, you know, we can also pivot and shift because I also think it's a good conversation to, um, talk about, you know, we've transitioned from the use of technology in a normal set, setting and circumstance to also starting to use technology in survival conditions yeah. as well. Uh, because if anything, and I don't know if this is a, just a different clip to cut in, but, you know, I, I just want to throw a shout out out there to the parents who, you know what, it is, you do not need to be shamed for plopping your kid down in front of Netflix for like two hours. <laughs> Yeah. In these conditions, like I, I see a lot of shaming out there in some spaces and trying to parent shame uh, people because it's like, you know, do, do, you know, you need to watch the, you know, limit the amount of technology that your kids are consuming. And it's like, but we can't go anywhere. Like, 
and right. and there and and I I imagine that there have been parents who've had days, um, and with you know with everything being able to regulate it appropriately in those spaces. But for for all those parents who are just doing the best that they can with what they got, you know, you, let's just be honest, you're operating under survival conditions. But let's shift the conversation to what are you going to do once we start entering the new illusion of normal. <laughs> So are you going to take those survival habits, which are fast and furious, and, you know, it's survival. You're just trying to get from one waypoint to the next, which is why you watched eight episodes of Paw Patrol back-to-back and why you're binge-watching, you know, your, your latest series. But on the other side of that, let's spend some time thinking about the other side. Get to the other side of that. Because yeah. what you don't want to do is, is utilize a survival situation to self-isolate more and more. And then on the other side of normal, create a space where there is an incredible lack of empathy and everybody's just doing efficient inf- you know, informational communication. Interesting. So if, if we can, we need to think about the patterns and behaviors that we're building right now because those are going to transition with us into the future. Yeah. So if, so what happens if the church, what, like, let's just play this out. What happens if the church reopens like it did and everything goes back to the way that it was personally, I don't think that that's going to happen, but let's just say that it did. Well, you're taking all of these digital patterns and behaviors into that space. So really what you're going to do, if you were doing discipleship really, really fast before, you're going to take your digital behaviors and make it even faster in real life which means that conversations are going to be even more curt, even more direct, even more to the point, you know, and we have kindergartners through high schoolers or pre-K through, through high schoolers who are still learning because contrary to popular belief and every parent out there knows that no kid comes with their brain pre-programmed. Yeah, it turns out. So, So your kids are picking up programs and many of them until really they get about that six, seven year old age they're not even really highly self-aware of what's going on around them. Right. And so all of these behaviors. And for some of them, they don't hit that until they're 37. Well, I'm in my thirties and I'm just now making good decisions. So, (laughs) (laughs) which is scary anyway. But, uh, you know, I think spending some time thinking about how do these, what, what is the other side of, of this season going to look like? Yeah. And what are we doing in that season to, to slow down, to be present with one another, yeah. not try to rush through something that God intended to be slow. That's great. And I, and I think that the only thing I would add to that is that you are capable of beginning to look on the other side of it. Yep. Because if you are someone who is able to function and turn on Netflix and get it to watch a show that's not you know traumatic for your children for two to four hours a day, while you figure out how to live life, like you are also someone who's capable of turning off the other things in in your life so that you can begin to figure out what that looks like for your family. Because I think that the survival point that you made is super important, but I also think it's important for people to diagnose like why they feel the need to parent shame or why parent shame is happening, why someone else is parent shaming them for the moment that they're in right now. Because it, it all becomes circular to me where it goes back to the lack of empathy, where it's easier to shame a behavior you're seeing play out on a screen because you forget that you're talking to about or to a person directly. You, thought, you mentioned the future. You mentioned like the sort of getting on the other side of it. And what role will screens play in discipleship after they stop being the only path that we have to disciple right now? Yeah, so I think for, 
again, whether it's the professional educator, you know, or the, or the Christian, you know, Christian educator, the, even the uh, church, uh, the, the partner at the church level, the disciple maker at the church level. I think one of the important things that, that I see on the horizon is that there's, there's going to be a, a desire to have a hybrid offering from ministries moving forward. Okay. Which means that even if we open up, I think one of the things is that we've created new, new communities that exist online. And I think a, a miss for the church would be to shift, you know, open your doors, get excited, throw a big party, which absolutely we need to do when we get back together. I, I don't even think the world is ready for the party <laughs> that's going to happen. Um, you know, because, uh, you know, and the passage escapes me, but in Isaiah, you know, it talks about, you know, for the spirit of heaviness, put on the garment of praise. So I think the church has just been singing and praising and, and trying to get into that frame of mind just to be able to cope with the current, you know, stresses and realities. For sure. But when we get to the other side of this, you have a digital community that now has to be stewarded. Mm. Like that's not going to go away. So if anything, I think the church is going to say, you know, hey, we've been doing it this way for a while. Well, now we've added this new thing and this new thing isn't going away anytime soon. So for like the youth pastor, the children's pastor, even the senior pastor that's out there, one of the things to think through now and, you know, not that they aren't, I'm absolutely sure that they are, but it's, it's how do we engage both of these, both of these groups in these different spaces yeah. and continue to do that. Um, because I imagine that that's, that's going to be for, for someone right now, this is how they're entering into the church, which means this is the only thing that they know about the church. This is the only way they probably got saved through an online worship service. Um, and so this is, this becomes their starting point. And if we take that away from them, what are we taking away from them in the future? That's fascinating to think about, because I think that there's two, there's two directions I want to go with that. Isn't this what technology was built for? Like you, you often say technology was a neutral tool. And I feel like what you're describing is the ability to use technology, what it was designed for, not the way that we've, I don't want to compare it to the fall, but like not the way that we've corrupted that creation. Yeah, it was created to make connections. Technology is all about bringing people together. Yeah. Um, it's about, it's about closing those gaps of distance between the head and, and the heart from you to another person. Yeah. And I mean, I think like I, you know, it's the Silicon Valley bros, right? It's it, like, it's easy to sort of roll your eyes at the utopia that the person who's collecting so much of your data tries to paint as why they've made the thing that they've made. <laughs> but I, uh, for you, the local church pastor, who's not trying to farm a bunch of data to make a bunch of money, right? Like you have that potential to use this the way that it is. But I want to speak to, because it goes back to this conversation that we've had about since this podcast started, because what I don't want people to hear and what you just described is another thing for the church to do or another thing for the pastor to do. Because, yeah. I don't, I don't think it's another place for the, another thing for the church to do. It's another place to, for the church to be. Yeah. And so it's, it's not so much about, oh, there's one more thing, um, you know, that we either can or can't do or can't sustain or can't sustain. It's, it's, it's no different than the farmer looking out to the field and just the harvest is ripe. 
So yeah. let's step into it. <laughs> and, and you know, and you know what? God's going to do the work. You Amen. know, God's going to do the work. God is, God is going to move, you know, in, in the, in the hearts of individuals that are going to occupy that space. It's the duty of the church to step into that and just be there and foster those communities of belonging in that space. Leave the results up to God, Amen. you know, go with what you got. I mean, that's the beauty that we see unpacked in the scriptures is that it was just an ordinary nobody that had a little bit of something, something and stepped into that environment. And God took this really, really tiny thing and blew it up and changed the world. I mean, that's how he, that's how he rolls. So, (laughs) 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 so, so if you're the church out there, that's like, I think we have a Facebook page. I'm not sure what's Facebook. Like if, if that's all you got, do not underestimate what an all-powerful God can do through something like that. Because if you reach one person or if you reach one kid or one student, it is worth it. Amen. What you're describing is one-on-one discipleship, right? You're describing a loving, caring adult caring yep. for a person, whether they're caring for that person in person or through a digital community. That is like, I love that framing, that it's just a different place for the church to be. Because um, I have a friend who. So five or six years ago, I was leading a men's group and at a church that I'm no longer a part of. And like any good small group leader, I was like, ah, shoot, I need an application point to this discussion because otherwise it's just going to be a bunch of dudes talking about a thing and then we're all going to leave. So at like the last minute, I was like, all right, everybody pair up um, and let's pick a spiritual discipline. And you identify that yourself and let's talk about how we can be accountable to each other and help them grow in whatever that spiritual discipline is. So I pair up with a guy named Tim. He and I decided we're just going to, we're just going to touch base about reading scripture. All we've done for six years is text each other a Y or an N based off of whether or not we got time in the word today. Yeah. You know, Russ, what you're talking about is the power of being thought about. Ooh. And so you know, using technology to step, because I mean, Romans chapter one is essentially God saying, Hey, step out into creation. I've been thinking about you for a long time and everything that you see in all of creation and all of this world is about me saying, Hey, I think about you often and I made this place for you. And so what does that look like for, for us in the extension of the church? to reach out to the life of a kid today, a student, you know, someone in our community and just say, Hey, I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you're, you know, what you might be dealing with, but I want you to know I'm thinking about you. Yeah. And I want you to know that you matter because I, because I see you. Yeah. And so how do we, like you said, just leverage something like text messaging, you know, which is a, just a simple technology just to keep those short accounts. Because there's something incredibly amazing that happens in the mind of, of a person when they receive that, that, that I think, the, the ultimate notification of, hey, I'm thinking about you. Yeah. And that it fuels the heart and it, it really refreshes the, 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 the mind. And if anything, that's part of the beauty of just spending time in his word is God is just continuing to reiterate to creation, hey, I'm thinking about you and I've never stopped thinking about you. Amen. You've said in previous conversations, you know, around the office back when we used to go to the office, um, there are people who are fighting for your kids. Yep. And that a lot of the conversation we have in this arena, but just around resilient child discipleship anyway, 
is that it's about us making the decision to fight for our kids as hard as these other forces are fighting for them. Yep. That sounds scary. Uh, how do you balance the fear with the real dangers, health-wise and otherwise, that come with technology versus mm. the inspiration of getting in that fight? Well, danger is a reality. Fear is a choice. And I think inside of that space, it, you know, we, we frame technology. So I'll just share how I frame technology with my daughter. I said, you know, see that iPad on the counter, you know, see that device over there. It's really no different than the windows of our house. It's a, it's a window. It, 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 you can open it up and, and at the same time feel a nice cool breeze on a hot day. Um, you can open it up and see a beautiful sunrise and, and that just fills you like it just, it, t- it, it takes you from the, the, the tip of your toes to the, to the tops of your hair. I mean, it just, it fills you up. Um, so the other side of it is the recognizing that there, because it is a window, because it's a door, um, there are things that are on the other side of that, that our kids do need to know at the appropriate time and place. Um, not to create a fear mentality around, but just to know the reality of what's on the other side of that door. And yeah. so there's a reason why we, um, there's a reason why we put a lock on that door. Yeah. You know, there's a reason why we put boundaries in place. Um, there's a, there's, there's a reason why for all of those things. And it's because of what's on the other side of that. So Again, I, I like I said before, I think that danger, you know, is a reality, but 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 fear is a choice. But it's also for a question for the church of how are we stepping into that environment, and what are we going to do with the sense that God is still actively going to redeem that space for His kingdom, and Amen. what is the presence of the church with the people of God who open the Word of God and who, who are the, the ambassadors of the kingdom going to do inside of that space? How are we going to conduct ourselves? Because we need to be taking the Beatitudes from the Sermon on the Mount there just as much as we do in everyday life. The Resilient Disciples podcast is powered by Awana. Awana is a global nonprofit organization dedicated to equipping leaders to reach kids with the gospel and engage them in lifelong discipleship. Awana is fueled by the generous support of individuals, churches, and organizations, as well as resource sales. Subscribe to the podcast today so you never miss an episode and go to resilientdisciples.com for more resources and many more of these conversations. The podcast is mixed, edited, produced, and hosted by me, Ross Cochran. Thanks to Kevin Orris and Phil Wallace for making the podcast happen. And thank you for listening. I'll talk to you on Thursday.